Welcome back to School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello, and joined this week uh, by a new Royal Blue Mersey contributor, Kevin. Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good, pretty good. First, uh, first time uh, recording uh, a podcast, so <laughs> slightly nervous, but uh, all good. No worries, no worries. It's all, uh, it's you know, it's just we're just like having a conversation on Slack here. It's you know, nothing, nothing too, too crazy to be worried about. Um, real quick, ever uh, before we get into everything, Kevin, just tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us, you know, how you became an Everton fan and 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 maybe a little bit of um, kind of you know your Everton fandom, who you who your favorite player is, stuff like that. Okay, well. Um... I've, shamefully, I was not really initially an Everton fan when I uh, when I was uh, when I was a kid. Um, my dad was a um, was a Liverpool fan, uh, strangely, and um, so I, I had kind of, but I had family members who were also big Everton fans. So I was kind of a, a dual fan. <laughs> I supported both teams pretty uh, pretty evenly, I would say, uh, until I, I would say Kendall's uh, first stint in the eighties when I kind of Everton kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, from being, a, a, you know, very much a second-rate team for quite a long time in, in the city, uh, and then suddenly became successful. And you know, me being a kid, that was the time to get on that bandwagon and <laughs> and start supporting the Blues. <laughs> yeah, little did you know how it was going to turn out 25, 30 years later. <laughs> um, so, so kind of a Jamie Carragher almost in reverse. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No. Absolutely. And and and. How did your, I mean, obviously, I'm sure your dad probably didn't take the fact that you transitioned over to Everton too well. He wasn't too, he wasn't too bothered, really. I mean, he was, uh, I mean, he used to actually attend uh, Everton games uh, on, on alternate weekends. He was, um, his family were originally not from Liverpool. So um, when they arrived, when, 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 his, when his dad uh, moved, moved to the city uh, from Oldham, um, they used to take in Oldham games, Liverpool games, Everton games, uh, pretty much any football. Really, so although he was a Liverpool fan, he was kind of like a, you know, a lowercase Liverpool fan. Not really a, not really a fanatic or anything like that. So he was pretty cool with it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Um, any favorite player? Favorite moment? Anything uh, stand out for you? Oh, favorite moments. Well, I mean, winning the FA Cup in uh, in '95 was uh, was a, was you know was it was a highlight. But I mean, it wasn't a very good game, but it was. The correct result, and the longer it goes on, uh, being you know trophy deprived, uh, I think the more significant that one becomes. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Well, all right. Well, it's great to get to know you, and it's great to have you on the pod, and we're happy you're joining us. As I mentioned to you before we got on this, we're going we're to talk a little bit about Aston Villa, but first mm-hmm. we're going to talk about Burnley and the Burnley match, yep. a match that you know it seems like every match is you know it's it's been exciting, it's been fun. This one, though, I feel more so than anyone. Everton come into the match. They, um, you know, they start with um, a lineup that I think is, and I'm just checking it up here because I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure the lineup was largely similar, except for the fact that we went three at the back. Ben Godfrey mm-hmm. getting his first start in the back, um, and then Seamus Coleman and Luca Dean pushing to the outside wingbacks. Um, and then, of course, Townsend, Gray, and Richarlison across the front. Dominic Calvert-Lewin not starting because of a broken toe and a quad injury that, um, that has him out now for a couple weeks, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But 
uh, you know, just a, a breakdown of the game. Everton go in, they go down in the second half uh, in the 53rd minute to a bend me goal. Um, and then they turn on the Jets. They turn on the Jets from there. Um, they get a goal from Michael Keane, then the absolute belter from Andros Townsend, and then a goal not long after that from Damari Gray. I think all the goals were scored within six minutes or seven minutes. Um, and just like that, Everton um, are on top and, and, and they, they finished the game off three to one. So uh, we'll start with the lineup, Kevin. What were your thoughts when you saw that the team was coming out in a three-back system and, and, and was going to go five at, the, I guess five at the back you know, in defense? What was your thought on the lineup as a whole when you, when you saw the team news? I was a little surprised. I mean, not completely shocked because I mean, it's a, I mean, Burnley played the, you know two kind of strong aerial, old style, physical centre forwards almost always. So, I mean, a way to combat that obviously is to play uh, play three centre backs. Uh, I think Benitez has done it before when he was at Newcastle against Burnley uh, with success, uh, from what I can recall. Uh, so I wasn't totally shocked. I mean, it's not my favourite formation. Uh, I, I think. I mean, it's good to have flexibility to be, you know, for, for the team to be drilled so they can go to a back three uh, when tactically required uh, on a game-by-game game, game game basis. Uh, I, I, my concerns with it, obviously, is, I mean, it's not, this is not like a great, great inspiration here, but it's, it can, it can it, it, it's very much reliance on, on the wing-backs being progressive and kind of stamping themselves uh, on the game and getting forward and pushing the opposition back. And I don't know whether our particular, you know, full-back, wing-back combinations are, are really those sort of players. And, you know, if, if the game goes a certain way, if the opposition are, are forceful, it's a back five. Um, and I think particularly when when those two wing-backs are real, really full-backs rather than wide midfield players, I think there's that tendency that they're always kind of sitting sitting deep and kind of playing more like full-backs than actual wing-backs. So I, I, that, that was my main concern going in. Yeah, I think the, uh, the, that's, you know, the biggest concern was the fact that we were playing like that against a team that we felt like we should have been attacking. And, and, and obviously they do have some solid, um, some solid uh, you know, attacking play through Chris Wood, Ashley Barnes, Dwight McNeil. But it's still a team that we felt like we should have attacked. And, and, and in some ways, if it works out well, you do attack. And, um, you know, pushing those outside backs forward and getting a, an extra man in the attack, that's great. But like you said, you know, sometimes if the attack is, you know, putting pressure on, the outside backs get pinned back a little bit. And, you know, it's, it's not the most I, – I think it could go either way. And, and for a team that hasn't played the three-back system really all that much, I think it was, you know, Rafa trying something new. but. Um, but it just wasn't the right move. And I think he recognized that, um, at yeah. least from a tactic standpoint, he said. He said, I know in his uh, post-match press conference, he said, you know, it wasn't the formation or playing three at the back. It was more a change in the tactics. But he did bring off Brent Godfrey, uh, brought on Andre Gomez. Um, and that kind of changed the game, I think. It, it opened some things up. Um, let's talk about uh, the goals and, and kind of the quick succession of the goals after the Ben Me goal. Um, well, actually, let's talk about the Ben Me goal first. 
What went wrong on the Ben Me goal? Obviously, the ball comes out off of, I think, a corner, mm. and lines aren't cleared. Defenders aren't marking their man. What went wrong on that goal? It, it seemed like it was a, a bit of confusion in the second phase after the after the corner gets cleared. Um, the Burnley players are all kind of concentrating on the far, on the far post. Um, I think I think it was, I think it would have been the near post from the side the corner came in, and there's only really um, Mina that's there, and I think maybe one of the fullbacks possibly. Uh, I think Dean and Godfrey both go here and out towards. Uh, uh, Good Johnson, I think it was, who put the ball in uh, for, for the for the goal. Um, neither of them get anywhere anywhere near him. He's able to just put it straight in, and I think it was just an overload really at the far post. Um, I mean, there's, there's, I don't think there's a great deal Mina can do unless the ball is hit right right in his particular you know area. There's not much you can do. It's just like it's kind of players queuing up really to get to get ahead on it, and um, you know worked out pretty badly for us really. Um, so I, I don't think it was a. I, I, I think it was just a bit of confusion in that second phase, really. Which I'm sure Benitez, being the kind of guy he is, will be just focusing on on what happens after the initial clearance in future to make sure that doesn't happen again. I'm sure we'll concede another goal from the set piece, but maybe not the same, <laughs> the same exact way. Yeah, no, it does <laughs> seem like Benitez is. That's something that he will you know, drill in, you know, within the next week and make sure that doesn't happen again. But yeah, I mean, it always seems inevitable when we're playing Burnley that Ben Mee, Chris Wood, Ashley mm. Barnes, one of those big guys is going to get a goal because, um, you know, as much as the center backs are great and, and, and Yerry Mina is a big, a big boy out in the middle there. And Michael Keane is a, is a big guy as well. You know, there tends to be a lot of confusion in those center backs. And um, I, I think that may have been why, you know, I think, you know, Ben Godfrey's fitness and, and, and just that, you know, maybe sort of confusion with the two strikers that maybe that's why Benitez went with for three at the back. But again, it's, you know, we had, I think, Coleman and Dean closing out um, the, the whoever put in the cross and then. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it was uh, Good Johnson, I think. Good Johnson, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then it kind of just kind of fell apart after that. And you know, when they score the goal, of course, you're, you're thinking, oh, God, come on, not, not this again. And, and very similar to the Southampton game, Everton came back. And in and, and Southampton game, they scored before the half. In this one, they scored just after the half. Uh, Burnley scored just after the half. And then Everton kind of turned on the Jets. And, and, and you get a Michael Keane goal um, not long, I think, three minutes after the, um, after the initial goal by Ben Mee. And then, uh, excuse me, seven minutes in the 60th minute. And then after that, the change is made for Gomez. And then, of course, the goal that will probably be remembered most out of this, <laughs> this game, maybe this season, the Andros Townsend goal. Talk me through what your emotions were when you saw that goal go in. Oh, it was just fantastic, wasn't it? I mean, I think at, at that particular point, um, obviously we'd, um, we we got the equalising goal, which was super important to get that quickly rather than, because I think the crowd was a little quiet through the first 60 minutes. Um, we, we weren't making any real inroads against Burnley. And I mean, they weren't terrifically threatening, but obviously they, 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 they got what they came for, which is that goal, which they could then sit back on and just defend. And... You know, I think a lot of people watching them watching the match, especially in the stadium, would have been thinking, "Well, where's our goal going to come from here?" Because we haven't really, other than that, the Corey chance uh, in the first half did not be really been a great deal. 
Uh, but obviously, we get the goal back. Uh, great cross from Townsend. Fantastic header from Keane. He's unmarked, but, but he, he, he gives the goalkeeper no chance whatsoever. So that was fantastic. Um, and then we make the change, like you say. Uh, we get Gomez on. We go to a 4-3-3. Uh, we immediately control the game. Uh, the midfield, we're winning those second balls. And we're just crowding their midfield and dispossessing them and getting at them. And that's where the goal comes from. It's um, I think uh, Gray uh, is 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 um, is pressing and ball goes to one of their players. I can't think of it. Is it might be might have been um, might uh, I can't think of who it was actually. But anyway, he loses the yeah. Loses I'm not the sure ball. either. I, I, loses yeah. the ball. I mean, uh, Alan puts it off to uh, to Corey. Uh, to Corey puts the ball through to Townsend. Then he's, he's in acres of space really to run into. On that, on that fantastic left foot, which we saw a little bit of in in preseason, and yeah. um, I mean, what, what can you say? I mean, he just gets it, he gets it lined up, and you know, we've all seen him, you know, hit the occasional goal like that for Palace, and it was just an, an amazing moment. He just powers it in, gives the goalkeeper absolutely. I mean, Pope played a good game, but he had no chance whatsoever on that um, fantastic yeah. shot. Yeah, it, it was unbelievable. And I think I, I have to ask you, when he takes that big touch and the defender's mm. standing there, do you think, I mean, for me personally, when I saw that, I was like, oh, like, oh my God, don't lose the ball. <laughs> like, it's like, it's like you got to, it, it, it's happened, I feel like, so many times before where Everton looked like they're in a good position. Yeah. And, and then they, big touch or a stupid pass or whatever. Yeah. Um, mm. Even in this game, there were, there were misplaced passes. Oh, absolutely. First half. Mm. Um, but, um, but yeah, so I, I it, it was just, I mean, just watching the goal and, 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 and for it to be a goal that put us up 2-1 so mm. quickly after, I mean, five minutes after we scored the first goal uh, yeah. that tied the game. And then, of course, a minute later, Damari <laughs> Gray gets on the end of a Ducore pass, which was, I mean, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but we can't, I can't say enough good things about him and his pro- progress this season, mm-hmm. uh, Abdullah Ducore. But um, how impressed have you been with the two new additions? Andrews Townsend and Damari Gray and what they've brought to this team so far this season. Uh, super impressed. I mean, both of them have contributed, uh, especially Gray, uh, in terms of his end product and his pace. It's um, been you know something that the team's been crying out for 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 a long time. I mean, Calvert Lewin, obviously, and the Charles and the quick players. Uh, I think Gray is is fast and direct. Uh, he commits. He's got, he's got great control as well, which. Um, isn't something necessarily that I'd really associated with him, but his, his touch is, is fantastic. Uh, he, he, you know, he, 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 he's difficult to get to, to dispossess. And Charleston's quick, but he loses the ball. Uh, Gray just seems able to take it um, and control it and drive at drive at the opposition. Um, he's, 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 his awareness of, of spaces is, is 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 impressive. Also, I mean, he's. He's able to get himself into good locations uh, on the field, um, dangerous areas, you know, and um, and just find himself in positions where he's able to contribute. Um, you know, his touch for the uh, for the goal. I mean, the pass was fantastic. Uh, I mean, what, not not overly dissimilar to Allen's against um, Brighton. Uh, probably a better ball ball overall. His first touch is great. Um, lines himself up and he, and. He, he never looked like he was going to miss. It, looked, it always looked like he was going in, um, which is good, always good to always good to see because that's not necessarily been one of our strengths as one on ones really um, in in the past few years. So that's fantastic. 
Andros Ross is just, um, he's, I wouldn't say he's been a revelation because we, we kind of knew what we were getting. But, I mean, I've been impressed by, I mean, we knew he had the shots. We knew he had the crossing ability. Uh, obviously, he had Benteke <laughs> that he was crossing to at Palace. So, not necessarily the best there. Uh, yeah, the well, best I, target there, really. I, I, I remember seeing when we got Townsend, some Crystal Palace fans saying, you know, Townsend would have 200 assists, but he was passing the ball to Benteke. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. I, I think that, that that raised a lot of hope in terms of his ability. And I think, you know, we haven't really seen what Dom is like fully healthy, right? I mean, hmm. he's got the broken toe, dealing with the quad injury, whatever. So I, I'm not sure Andrews Townsend's, crossing ability has really been shown to the fact where Dom's really getting up there and really able exactly. to get into space. Yeah. I feel like he's kind of been lagging behind and still managed to add three goals in three games, which is awesome. Obviously two of them penalties, but, um, but still good for him. But yeah, these two new, new guys, I think the thing with gray is yes, Richarlison and Dominic Calvert-Lewin are fast, but gray just seems to have another gear to him. Another, you know, mm. another, just another level of pace that the, that those two don't have. And it, it feels like when he's in space, for example, in the match against Burnley and, and when he gets that ball, it just like, nobody's catching him. There's no tackling him. It's just, he just beelines for the goal. And like you said, control composure and fine in the back. And then he really seems to be confident out there, which is huge. And, um, and then again, Townsend, he's got a level of experience that is good for the club. And then he also has just an unbelievable left foot, a, a great crossing ability, adds a lot of different things. He also has pace. I think that's the biggest thing. You know, the pace of this team now has taken another step up. And, and when we're on the counterattack, it almost feels like, okay, like where's the, where's the, the runner? Where's the guy who's going to get on the end of this ball? Because you just feel like it's always possible. And now with Ducore and Allen making these passes and being more attack-minded, it's really changed the game um, for this club. And, and, and I think, you know, enough can't be said about what Benitez and the board have managed to do with such little money over this summer transfer window. Obviously, I think a lot of us were hoping they did a couple more things, but with just, you know, using 1.8 million pounds essentially <laughs> on Townsend, Damari Gray, we still don't know what Rondon can do. Obviously, he came on for a few little time. Um, but we'll see if he plays some more um, with Dominic Calvert-Luna out the next couple of weeks. But um, really good stuff from uh, from the team. Let's talk about Jacore though. As I mentioned, he's said that he's taking on a more attack-minded role. He's got, I think, t- two or three assists this season and one goal. What have you thought of his performance uh, and how have things have changed for him this season? Well, I, I think to an extent the, the handcuffs are, are off. Um, you know, he's being released to you know to to kind of be that box to box midfielder that we we thought we were signing a year ago. Uh, and then he, I, I mean, he did show uh, you know elements of that certainly in the earlier part of the season when Everton were playing uh, more attacking football before you know we kind of re, you know regressed into a more of a defensive setup. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, if anything, Alan's taken the more defensive, deeper role, allowing Decore to get forward. And especially when we play three three midfield players, that's gonna be that's gonna be really noticeable that Decore is gonna get into dangerous positions. I mean, he's not I wouldn't say he's a, a super creative player or super skillful or anything, but he's he's athletic, he's um he can run all day long, he's got fantastic, fantastic stamina. 
Um, you can finish, you can get into dangerous positions, into the box, which, um, I mean, I think Allen can carry the ball, and but he's not really going to be a, a threat. He never has been throughout his career, really, whereas Takore did rack up some decent numbers at a, you know, a moderate team at Watford. And um, at Everton, I think he can definitely you can definitely eclipse the kind of numbers that he was putting up at Watford um, and get, you know, reasonable numbers of goals for us, most definitely. Yeah, yeah I definitely agree. I mean, he's just looked so good. He's He's been, whenever he's on and he's on the ball and he's carrying the ball through midfield, you feel like something's about to happen. I remember the Southampton match. Um, when we turned things around was when he started to carry the ball more in the midfield and yeah. started to find that space in the midfield. Um, and, and he just has, you know, he, he just has that attack. And it's crazy that at last season, he didn't really get the opportunity to do that too much because he mm-hmm. does have the quality. And in this team, especially, um, has something that, that not many of the other players have. Like you mentioned, Allen is great at carrying the ball through, but still more of a defensive minded player. Yeah, yeah. Expect him to kind of work sideline to sideline, making tackles and whatnot. But, you know, Decore just runs and runs and runs and carries the ball so well and always he seems to find the season has seemed to find the right pass. That's um, right. And, yeah. and he's, and he's been really solid. So very impressed by him. Um, and then let's talk about Rafa again. I feel like it's something we probably should talk about each and every game because I know that there's Everton fans out there that are, you know, analyzing him each and every game. Um, the first half wasn't great, but again, once again, he figures it out in the second half. His in-game tactics have, um, and his in-game changes have really changed everything for Everton. You know, I mean, we think back a couple years to, or a couple managers ago, to Marco Silva when things were going bad. There wasn't much change to the formation. It was very mm-hmm. stubborn. It was very, we're going to do this, and whether it works or not. But with Rafa, it's, it's, okay, this isn't working. How do we fix it? And he seems to have pushed the right buttons every single time he's needed to. What have your thoughts been about Rafa so far this this season? Well, I think um, I think he's been a pragma- He's a pragmatist. Um, I don't think he's uh, he's not like a a system man per se. Like Silva had, as you say, Silva had his system, his way of going about things. He was going to play a specific way. I guess Roberto Martinez was something similar. Um, kind of his, uh, his, his ethos that he was going to imprint on the team. And I don't think, I think Benitez is much more of a, a tactician um, in the sense that he'll make, he'll abandon something that isn't working. He'll, you know, he'll take players off that aren't, that aren't working out. He will make the changes necessary because it's all about getting the results. It's all about winning the game or, or getting those points in. Um, so I, I think that flexibility is, will serve him really well. Um, we've seen many times we've seen you know an Everton team under Silver and Coleman and Ancelotti set up the way and play the way we did for that first 60 minutes and not make the changes not make the proactive um, changes to, to, to the game and to the system and uh, to the team and I think I think um, Rafa Rafa will do that um, I mean you could argue that the, the substitutions even when they haven't necessarily contributed to a goal or an assist even Gomez uh, for example, who didn't, you know, his stats were amazing in terms of what he did when he came on, but his overall play was fantastic against Burnley. Yeah. Um, we're, we're seeing proactive substitutions that are changing the game. 
which we very we just haven't really seen a lot a lot of in recent seasons at Everton. So that's really really encouraging. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, I think yeah, the the, the it, he's just been like you said with Gomez. Gomez didn't really come on, but and, and make too much of a difference on the stat sheet. But he did come on and make a lot a, a big difference in the terms of how we played and open th- opening things up for the rest of that midfield. Um, and, and yeah, I just, I've been impressed with what Rafa has done and, and just the flexibility that he has to change things on the fly and the flexibility of the team, quite frankly, has to change things on the fly. Cause that's not easy either. So it seems like he has the team in a really good spot and that's, that's, um, you know, that's, that's fantastic. Um, last question before we move on to the Aston Villa match, which will take place tomorrow. Everton didn't have, listen, it was a win. The second half was great, but it wasn't a great first half. What are some of the things that you think Everton need to change? Because it's, it's, you know, we have had, you know, while we've won, remained unbeaten through the first four matches of the season, um, the first halves haven't been great. What are some hmm. things that you would like to see Everton change, not even just in the first half, but as a whole here as we move forward in the season uh, to allow us, I guess, to play a little bit better? you know, in both halves and, and kind of spread it throughout the, uh, through game, through, throughout the game. Yeah, well, I think that, uh, obviously, I think, the, I think we'll, we need to see a little bit more kind of us coming out the gate, especially in home games, and, uh, and dictating play. I think we're a little passive against uh, Southampton um, and against Burnley as well. Uh, I mean, against Burnley, we, were, we, we seemed to set up more to to nullify them rather than to impose ourselves in the in the match. Um, yet we didn't really stop them from 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 crossing from deep, which was giving us some some trouble and we couldn't get out, we couldn't get we couldn't, we couldn't get the ball forward basically into midfield. We were we were getting harassed and pressed into into coughing the ball up. Um, so I, I I'd like to say, I mean I, and I think this will come with time because obviously it's a new manager, a new system, um, new way of doing things. I think he's focused a lot on physical fitness in the team. The team look, looks noticeably just it, it just lasts the ninety minutes so much better uh, than it, than it did last year and and in, and in many previous seasons really. Um, so I think his focus has been on that. And, and, I, and I mean, he said himself in his uh, in his press conference after the the Burnley match that you know he obviously he doesn't want us uh, he doesn't want us lo- you know shipping the first goal in every home game which or any goals at all actually. Um, and I think that's uh, I think that's I think that's correct. I mean, we need to get out and maybe maybe get a definable um, a definable method of play, which I don't think we've seen so much. Except that we are looking to get the ball forward. We're looking to counter more uh, on our pace, which is great. But will that you know that, that isn't going to work if you if you have to kind of uh, you know if you come up against the team that sits back defensively and um, that, that is not going to work at home so we, we need to figure out a way of of integrating a bit more creativity and control and, and, and play and may, maybe getting more of the ball as well yeah absolutely that's been the crazy part right it's we haven't had too much possession and we've been managing <laughs> yeah. to win these games which hey listen I, I don't care how we win them as long as we win them but you're right I think maybe just controlling the game a little bit better uh from start to finish especially starting well at home is um, definitely something that 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 maybe we need to uh, 
fix, but hey, uh, like I mentioned, three wins in four games, um, you know, unbeaten through the first four matches of the season in the Premier League, and of course, um, won the one uh, EFL Cup match as well. Uh, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back with some Aston Villa talk after that. All right, we're back, and we're talking Aston Villa Everton. The match will take place tomorrow at uh, 5.30 p.m., I think, over in England, and it's 12.30 p.m. over here on the East Coast in America. Um, these two teams met twice last season in the span of about two weeks due to COVID. There, there had to be rescheduling and whatnot. Um, and so Aston Villa beat Everton on May 1st, 2-1, and then tied uh, 0-0 on May 13th. Um, Aston Villa ended up finishing in 11th place last season uh, with on 55 points, just four points behind Everton, who finished in, in, in fourth place. Um, they've been off to a bit of a rough start this season. Um, they lost to Watford on opening day 3-2 um, and only have four points from the first four matches. Um, and, and those matches, not exactly, you know, crazy matches that they've had to deal with. Again, Watford, they lost to. They did beat Newcastle 2-0 and then tied um, Villa, or excuse me, tied Brentford um, and then lost to Chelsea last weekend. Um, how do you expect this Everton team to line up against Aston Villa tomorrow, uh, Kevin? Well, I think he's going to go with a, I think the three at the back uh, experiments will be a one game, <laughs> a, a one game thing. I, I, I'm, I'm completely expecting us to go to a four, four, back four um, against Villa. And I think it'll be some variation of a 4-3-3 or, you know, 4-2-3-1, something like that. Uh, maybe Gomez will come in. Um, I think that's, that's a possibility. Uh, I don't think Rondon will start. I don't think he's. Um, I don't think he's at, at the the level of fitness yet. That you know, for, to start a match, I think he'll be on the bench. So I think Richarlison will be the uh, number nine again. Um, yeah. So I, I think. I think. I think essentially it'll be. It may be the same team that ended the Burnley game. I think Gomez will start. I think he's. Um, he's shown that he that he's ready to ready to start. He's played thirty minutes uh, or thirty five minutes the other day. Which is as much the most he's played in a league match. Um, uh-huh. He's looking, he's looking fitter. He's looking sharper. Um, I think he's ready to be to be plugged in into that three-man midfield to see how he goes. Um, I think this could be a perfect game uh, for him. Um, back four. I mean, it's going to be uh, obviously it's going to be uh, Dean and uh, Coleman at, at fullback, and uh, Mina should start unless he gets one of us. There's many little <laughs> niggling injuries, but he, there's no reason why he shouldn't be starting. I think Michael Keane probably will start as well. Um, going, you know, coming off that off that goal, I think he's, he's a confidence player, as has been said. I don't see him getting dropped. Um, it's possible, but I, 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 I think I think Keane will probably start ahead of Godfrey. Although I think Godfrey, me and it is probably the long term, you know, centre back partnership that we that we'd be looking for really. But I think Keane will be seen his place. The wingers will be the same. Townsend, Gray, no reason to change that. The midfield will be the same. The Corey and Allen, it's worked well. They're, I think they're a great partnership. Um, uh-huh. Gomez, in that last 30 minutes, showed that he can very much play with those two guys as well. And being, you know, I, I mean, his his attributes are really his, uh, his calmness and composure on the ball. Um, he's not going to be pinging passes everywhere, creating assists or anything like that, but 
and he's not going to be you're certainly not going to be tackling anybody either but um he, he, he's definitely he, he definitely adds uh he, he adds attributes that the other two don't have so i think he i'd like to see him get a chance yeah, it would be um, interesting to see uh, if Gomez got a, got a chance in this one, especially, like you said, after how things opened up for the team and, and how things uh, opened up for him in that game against Burnley. Um, I think you're right. Um, the one question I would worry about, I know when Matthew uh, did his um, kind of breakdown of the tactics or we talked about it um, and and tactic, tactically Everton um, uh, put the thread on on Twitter one thing they did mention was the fact that the two in the back are the, the two strikers uh, may be a big reason why Rafa went for the three in the back in last match. If Ollie Watkins and Danny Ings are expected to start again, or if Rafa thinks that um, that may be a reason for him to put the back three back in. But I would think like you mentioned, go back to the four at the back I don't know where Godfrey is fitness-wise. Um, I'm imagining he's he's fit enough to start. I would, I, I think I would rather him just with. Um, I, I just like his speed better than Michael Keane's speed. Um, oh, yeah. And I think yeah. I think also with as you mentioned, that's the long-term pairing, Mina and 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 Godfrey. That's the long-term pairing for the future. Um, uh, up top, like you mentioned, uh, Rondon may not be fit, but there's really no reason to change up that uh, Townsend or Gray. You know, if you don't, if you put Rondon in the match, you're not going to take uh, Richarlison out. So you're going to have to go. If you want to do four three three, you have to take one of Townsend or Gray out, or you could go four four two. But then that means Gomez doesn't start. So there's a few different options that that I could see happening. But I think you're right. I think we go back to or we stick with the four three three that ended that match. You know we're going to have to control the midfield, and we're going to have to you know put pressure on that um, on that Aston Villa defense, and I think that's the best way to do it. Um, so um, I what and, and let's just let me just read through a couple things here that I've uh, you know that that have popped up on on that I, that I found. Aston Villa are unbeaten in four league games against Everton, which is something of note because they'd only won two of their previous 15 Premier League meetings with uh, Everton. Um, Everton have won three of their last six away league games against Aston Villa, as many as they had in the previous 29 visits. Uh, Aston Villa are unbeaten in their last four Premier League home games. Um, After a run that saw them keep 10 clean sheets, they've also uh, 10 clean sheets in 17 Premier League games. Um, They've just recorded two shutouts in the last 16 in the competition. So um, just some things to look out for there and some, some storylines. But what worries you the most about this Aston Villa team? They may not have gotten off to a great start, but there's still talent there. I know against Chelsea, while they did not perform really well, Ollie Watkins, um, if I remember correctly, had a really good match. Um, what worries you the most about this Aston Villa team? Well, that they can't. I mean, that, that I think at the moment they're just not really. I mean, they're adjusting to life uh, after Grealish, basically. Uh, when you when you when you you take out such a key component of a team, uh, like we saw years ago with um, with Tottenham when they, when they sold Bale and basically bought bought a whole squad with the uh, the Bale money, <laughs> and it didn't necessarily work out fantastically in that in that first first season. I think uh, Villa, to a lesser extent, they haven't gone crazy and bought bought a stupid number of players but 
I mean, they've brought, they've brought in some key some key uh, components uh, that have been disrupted, I think, to an extent. I mean, Leon Bailey, you know, a long-time target for Everton has come in and uh, just barely played because of a, a hamstring injury. Uh, I mean, he came off the bench uh, in the last game, so probably he'll start. He's obviously he's dangerous, he's fast, he's, uh, he's direct. Um, and Buendia as well. Um, obviously, I don't know. I don't know whether he will start on Saturday because he's um, he, was, he had to he had to miss the uh, the last game due to the um, you know the COVID protocols. Um, so whether or not they want to plug him in or to put him on the bench, uh, I'm not too sure. Uh, I think the goalkeeper Martinez will start because I think obviously you know there's no reason why tactically speaking he wouldn't be just plugged straight in. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think Buendia has got the he's got the creativity. Ings is is a, is a predator. Um, Bailey's got all that pace and can, you know can run directly at, at, at the Everton uh, defence. Um, McGinn's uh, you know a clever player gets some, you know finds space and can pick a pass. Um, so I mean they, they're gonna they're gonna hit the stride at some point. Um, I think you know like you say they've not been super impressive yet. Uh, although I, I thought he played pretty good against Chelsea in fairness, just that Chelsea were clinical um, and Villa didn't really take advantage of uh, Sal Niguez's terrible first half. <laughs> but he just seemed to be playing for Villa, I think, <laughs> and sometimes. Yeah, it was, um, you know, I, I think, you know, Bailey is definitely going to be an issue, I think. And maybe that's a reason he goes, Rafa goes to the back three again. Um, hmm just to give that extra help with the wing backs on the wings and, you know, dealing with Bailey and then, you know, if, if they go with Watkins and they go with Danny Ings, you know, that could cause a lot of problems. So um, it is possible that maybe he goes to three at the back again with that. Um, but we'll see, um, you know, in terms of Emmy Martinez and Emmy Buendia, um, Dean Smith did say today we're expecting to, them to join us tomorrow morning and I will assess it then and decide whether they will be involved or not. It says they're both in a good place physically. They have been training from what I understand in Croatia. Um, so it's one of the, I guess the green lit uh, countries that they're allowed to be in. Um, so that's, I guess where they've been doing their protocol instead of sitting in a hotel. Um, but um, I, I would imagine Martinez starts Wendy. I'm not entirely sure. But I, I think, yeah, I, I think the, you know, that, that the three we talked about, the three I talked about, I think are the biggest worries for me. Ollie Watkins looked really, really good, like I mentioned. Mm -hmm. Danny yeah. Ings is always a problem, always a problem. And mm -hmm. Beyond Bailey will be back from injury, and um, it seems like he's pushing to start as well. And um, I don't know, it's, it, it looks like it's going to be a uh, – I, I, I think those guys will be the, the toughest things to handle. Um, and then, of course, um, you know, Tyrone Mings has, has been pretty solid in defense. And I think, um, you know, breaking down that Villa, the middle of that Villa defense might be a little difficult without Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Um, mm -hmm. Richarlison, obviously, not typically a, you know, a guy who's going to get out there and try and head the ball. And maybe, who, who knows, maybe that's why Rafa would bring in maybe a Rondon to um, pair with Richarlison up top. I, I don't really know. I feel like there's a lot of different options that can yeah. happen here to combat some of the things that Villa have going for them. Mm -hmm. But you're right. They're dealing with life after Grealish. And that's the biggest thing to remember, I think, is just that, um, you know, Grealish was such a big part of their offense and now he's gone and they didn't really spend too much money 
on anyone really. I mean, they spent it on Bailey and, and maybe a couple other players, but really it's, it's largely the same team. So um, it, it's, I, I think I'm cautiously optimistic going into this one, um, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. Um, let's talk about a player who has not, we've not seen in an Everton jersey this season that doesn't exist according to or apparent or that doesn't exist to the eyes of Everton fans because he physically has not played a Premier League game. More American fans have seen him in an Everton shirt than uh, English fans. James Rodriguez, is there any room for him in this match, whether it be starting or off the bench? Well, I don't see him starting uh, at the moment at all. Um, I mean, guys, I mean, Benitez, obviously, he has to deal with a lot of questions about Rodriguez at every press conference, basically, uh, because of the, you know, he's such a, he's such a big name player, uh, you know, that the journalists want to, want to talk about Rodriguez. So I think that, um, I think, I mean, he's, 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 he's putting it out there that, well, he's not quite there yet in terms of his, of his, uh, of his fitness levels and, you know, what, 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 what have you. But obviously you're seeing players coming back from injury or new guys like Rondon that are coming on and, and they're on the bench right away. So I, I, maybe it's more of a case of, he's, of, um, of him not thinking that Rodriguez is, is mentally ready yet. I don't know. Or, or that he maybe needs to leave him out to get him to a place where he feels that he can use him. I don't, I don't see him starting right at the moment because he hasn't, he hasn't kicked a, a football in anger in a, in a competitive match since, I don't know, what, April? Yeah, it's, I think the end of the season, he missed the last three games or something like that, I think. That's, yeah, I think so, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, there's a way back in. I don't think he's, I, think, I don't think Benitez has this kind of, um, this beef with Rodriguez that, you know, is often, often talked about that, you know, that he, that I don't think it's a personal thing at all. I think it's a difference yeah. in, in terms of approach. But I think, as I said before, I think Benitez is a pragmatist. He doesn't get emotionally involved with his players. I mean, people like Gerard and Stephen Gerrard and uh, Jamie Carragher have pretty much said the same thing. Um, this is not like a, this is not an unusual thing for him. Um, so I, I think I think if Rodriguez gets gets on board and is happy to play the system and gets his fitness levels up to to what Benitez requires of his players, I think he'll be back in the team. Um, but I think it was, certainly it would be on the bench initially. There's no way on earth he's ready for to start yeah. a match yet. I wouldn't think. And and the rest of the team are playing well. So why would you why would you take somebody out like Gomez or or even a Wobi really and and put Rodriguez in who's not yet played? Yeah, and I, it, it's it's such a difficult situation. I would like to see him on the bench because I think, like you said, I, I he has talent, and I and I don't mm. think that there's. I think that I mean I think there may be some truth to the Benitez beef. I think that there you know may be some little you know obviously you know where there's smoke there's fire. You know I, I don't know if it's all true, but I think that there's um, you know probably some disagreements that they've had in the past and yeah, yeah. disagreements on certain things. And we know we've we've heard about Hamas talking about the the disappearance <laughs> of the ten role and oh, yeah. all that on his Twitch channel. So it's. Um, I, I think that there's probably a little bit of beef there um, or at least something that, you know, something happened. So, but I would like to see him back in the team. I think it'd be interesting to see what he can do and he can provide in a, in a four, three, three, if he plays in that middle role, because typically mm-hmm. we had, we had him playing out on the right. 
right? Yeah. So, yeah. You no, know, you you play him in the four three three in the middle. You let him be more of attack minded, and then you have uh, Allen in the back, and then Decore kind of you know pivoting and you mm-hmm. know from defense to attack. Um, yeah. and, and that would be interesting. I think the biggest problem with him is the defensive issues. Every yeah. player on this pitch, even Dominic Alverloon when he's playing, is willing to get back and defend and, and get there and, and, and really, you know, it's a team effort in defense. And I think that's mm-hmm. the biggest problem with Hamas and, and the biggest problem he faced last season and, and, and where we saw some issues last season, he, he just he doesn't get back on defense. He doesn't participate in defense really in any fashion. I mean, sometimes here and there, yes, but – his defensive, his defensive, um, you know, work rate isn't as high as basically the rest of the team, and I think that's a big thing for Benitez, and I think that may be why he may not start. But again, we've talked about it in the pod week in and week out. Um, he's a good player to come off the bench. I think in a game where you know the team is looking for a goal late in the match or or, or needs to change things up against the low block, you might see him come in. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure at this current moment that we see too much of him um, or starting, you know, within the next, you know, month or so. Just because mm-hmm. I, I just, like you said, the players are playing too well. The systems are working. The things, you know, without him, we've had the substitutions to make it work. So it, it seems like he's probably on the outside looking in for a little bit, at least um, from a bench perspective. Um, in, in, yeah. I mean, as you say, I mean, he has, he has the quality absolutely to, to contribute, but he has to be fit and he has to be mentally there as well. He must, he has to be mentally committed to the team. Yeah. You know, I think everybody that's, I mean, you, you hear, you only have to hear Townsend's interviews. He's, it's all about the team of Benitez. So mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to, he's, he's going to allow somebody just to, to play when he feels like it or anything like that. I think Rodriguez will have to be completely committed to, to showing the, the undoubted talent that he has. Yeah. Um, and I think certainly coming on against the tired opponents, like Gomez looked good, but obviously he was coming on in, an hour into a match so against Burnley. So coming on against tiring opponents, certainly Rodriguez uh, would be able to make an impact if he's, if he's there and committed. Uh, I don't see any problem with that at all. I, I think, like, like you say... Um, I don't see him playing uh, wide at all for Benitez, yeah. you know, on that right-hand side. And Coleman has looked solid defensively this year, and I think it's almost certainly because Townsend's being in front of him, you know, just helping out and running interference for him. And you weren't really going to get that with Rodriguez. No, yeah, no, I, I think, yeah, that's the the thing with him. And, and I think, um, you know, it's you think about it and, you know, he sounds great adding that to that attack, but when everybody's fully healthy, it seems like Rafa's going with Richarlison playing off of Dominic Calvert-Lewin with the other two out wide. And granted, we haven't seen Hamas, um, you know, this season, even on the bench. So I don't really know what his plan would be if he was fit and he would try and play him. Yeah. Um, but it does seem like he likes that, you know, when everybody's healthy, putting Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison up top together. And I kind of like that too. I don't know how you feel mm-hmm. about that, but... I like the way Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin play off of each other. It mm. gives defenses fits, and then you have the outside of Gray, and you have Townsend on the other side, the, yeah. the, the outside backs getting forward, and then Decore. And I, I think that works really well. So, mm. yeah. um, you know. It's- yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think if Rodriguez plays, it'll be as a, as a number 10 in a 4-2-3-1. Yeah. Uh, or potentially, as you suggested, uh, he could play that kind of Gomez role in, that, in a 4-3-3. 
I guess like a Matsala, I think they call yeah. it, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Uh, kind of drifting around in that kind of half space. I mean, you can, I could see that working. But obviously, it's a bit more workload there for, for Decore and Allen. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll see how that plays out. I mean, and this is going to be a conversation, conversation week in, week out, especially no if he doubt. does end no up doubt. playing. <laughs> if he yeah. ends up playing in some fashion and plays well, then, he be, then it becomes, you know, I, I think that there's the story is the ever evolving story and it's never going to end at least until he's out of an Everton Jersey or until, you know, <laughs> Rafa plays him and, and, and it seems like they have a, you know, good rapport moving yeah. forward. But, um, this match, um, what do Everton need to do to beat Aston Villa? Um, well, I think Villa, Villa don't take chances. I think they, I mean, the, the game last year at Villa Park was, it was almost a non-event, but neither team really wanted to take the initiative. Carlo was in his, you know, typical away defensive setup, um, sitting back and looking to, looking to break. And Villa, that's the way Villa likes to play as well. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't see Villa pushing at us really. And I, and I don't see us... Uh, going out, going out there and trying to dominate the ball either. So I think it could be quite a cagey affair. It could be kind of who blinks first, you know. Maybe the villa, maybe the presence of the crowd at Villa Park will force them to to come at us a bit more, <laughs> which would suit us, I think, really. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, hey, we've we've been performing pretty well in these away matches, um, mm-hmm. and it's yeah, it's been. I mean, I, I think for for Everton, I, I think you're right. I think it's it's kind of be a little, be a little cat and mouse where it's going to be like you said, who blinks first, who <laughs> who makes that first move. I know, um, you know, Everton. I'm sure are going to want to probably hit on the counterattack again and 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 you know, play a little bit more defensive. I, I think the one thing that may change any of this with um, the way Aston Villa set up and the way Aston Villa go after this is that. They're four matches in, and they only have four points. And I know it's early, mm-hmm. but, you know, I, I think there was a lot more expected of them, even without Grealish, with the talent that they have. And I think maybe that forces Dean Smith's hand a little bit and forces them to go a little bit more attacking. Who knows, with Leon Bailey coming back in the lineup, if that's the case and him starting, they start to push forward a little bit. I think that plays into our hand a little bit. Um, but I think Everton just need to control the midfield, and I think they, if they can, you know, hit them on the counter and 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 use that pace to their advantage, I think it's going to be um, very good. Because the one thing Villa do is when they do get forward, you know, target on the on, on the left side, I think it is, and Matty Cash on the right side. Yeah. Those two get forward, and, and you know, if we can turn that ball around quickly and get going the other way, I think it can catch them. And then, of course, it leaves that space on the, you know, the wings for Damari Gray and Andros Townsend to run into and, and create some magic there. So I think that that's, again, basically the game plan that we've had for the second half of every match this season, um, it seems. Um, I think we just got to keep attacking that and um, just use that to the best of our advantage because I think that's going to, it'll work again in, in this match. So we'll see how it plays out. Let's, before we go, we have to do predictions. What's your prediction for this weekend, Kevin? I think it's going to be a tough match. Um, I don't think it's going to be a, a thrills and spills kind of affair. I, I'm going to I'm going to have to go one one. Um, I think Villa are a decent team. Um, I think Bailey will play. I think Watkins will play. Buendia maybe off the bench. Uh, 
they're, they're an organised outfit. Um, they got some quality. They're at home. You know, they'll be roared on by that crowd. So I think I think a draw would be a reasonable a reasonable result for us. Um, yeah. Obviously, I'd love I'd love us to get get the win, but I think I think one one. Yeah, I you know I'm I'm a typically pessimistic <laughs> fan, so I never choose wins on this podcast um, unless I'm feeling good. So I think I'm I'm, I'm thinking around the, the same thing. It just it, it feels like you know. We've played Southampton. We've played mm-hmm. um, we played Brighton, who have started very well. I'll yep. give them credit, but do not have the talent level of some of the other teams. Uh, yeah. Obviously, in this, um, and then and then we we played Burnley. Um, the one match that I would say gave us the most fits, obviously, was the Leeds match, which we tied. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Aston Villa has a similar type of talent, just with a better defensive ability. Yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. Leeds is very leaky at the back. Um, so I think this is going to be another one of those tough matches where it's back and forth, you know, it's kind of, it's going to be tough to find any space in the first half. And then I think, um, the second half will find a couple goals, but I think that'll be one each. And I I think I agree with you. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be one, one. So, all right, Kevin, that is it. How was your first podcast? It was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to hear it. Happy to hear it. it was, you were fantastic. And we really, really appreciate oh, thank you, you coming that's, on. That's really, it's really kind of you. Thank you. No, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> we can't wait to have you on again if you, if you want to come back. And, absolutely. Uh, um, to all you guys out there, keep listening. Keep, keep subscribing. Whatever you got to do to download the episode. Um, just keep listening. We'll be back. Um, obviously, QPR is on Tuesday, I think it is. So... Um, that's the EFL Cup match. So I think I'll have, we'll have a podcast coming um, again in quick succession to, to break down that match and then the Norwich match next, uh, next weekend. So uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, other than that, uh, we'll talk to you guys next week.